good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good? It's good to see you this morning. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we are so thankful that you're here to worship with us today. If you've got your Bibles, get them open to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And if you've got something to take notes with, I encourage you to please uh, consider taking something out. We're going to be going kind of quickly this morning. There is a lot here that I really want you to, to understand and to remember, and I just don't know without taking notes how you're going to do it. So most of us have the ability to take notes, and I just encourage you to get those out and uh, get your Bibles out, uh, whether it's a physical Bible or whether it's something that you might look at on your phone, but we will also have verses on the screen. We are starting this morning a new series, an eight-week journey together that is called Set Free. And I don't know a more fitting series that we could jump into after Easter, after we celebrate the resurrection, than this particular series. I'm going to talk to you more about uh, the series uh, here at the beginning before we start uh, the first step this morning. But Isaiah chapter 57, verse 18, you can write down the reference. I'm going to put it here on the screen. It says this, God says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of his lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. I will heal him. I don't know about you. Uh, have you ever been hurt? If so, God says he is a healer. I don't know about you. you ever been confused? God says he's a leader. I don't know about you, but you ever been helpless? God's present help. He brings fruit. He brings purpose. I don't know about you, but you ever feel like nobody understands? God says he brings comfort. I don't know about you. You ever been anxious? God says that he brings peace. The heart of this journey that we're about to start over the next eight weeks is this, that we want to grow, to understand, to embrace, and to walk in our personal experience in the goodness of God. We want so much for you. I desire so much for you, and I desire for myself to walk in these things that God offers us, his people, all who trust in him and his salvation in Jesus. But the reality is all of us are broken. Anybody get, got a witness in here? I may be the only one. No, it doesn't sound like it. Um, the reality is sin has wrecked us all. Like completely wrecked us all. And the reason that we don't experience these on a, a more daily, ongoing basis is because of the brokenness that each of us live in related to our sin. And we've got to be honest about our brokenness. Now, this series is going to make us uncomfortable in a lot of ways, I think, because it is going to be one of the most honest series that we have ever done here as a church. But the reason we're doing this series is because we think we need more honesty related to our brokenness. Because, well, I'll tell you why in a second, but we need honesty about our brokenness. Now, when we talk about the need for recovery, most of us think, well, this is for people who have serious addictions, whose lives are really out of control. I don't need recovery. I, you know, my stuff is just small. <laughs> really? I just want to remind you that all of us have form of some form of addiction because sin is addiction. And the reality is, all of us have sinned, and all of us have created ungodly and unhealthy patterns for living life. Most of us 
have had a journey of wrestling with some kind of hurt, some kind of addiction, some kind of behavioral problem, some kind of undesirable habit, some kind of compulsive behavior, some kind of sin pattern that we just don't want to be walking in. Let me just name a few to see if I can uh, make you uncomfortable. In case you think you're not of this group. Pornography. Eating disorders. Disordered eating behaviors. Drugs. Abusive behaviors. Having a tendency to manipulate other people in your life. The abuse of alcohol. Prescription drugs. Overeating. Emotional codependency. Compulsive shopping. Spending. Areas of sexuality of all kinds outside of God's desire and will. Anxiety, fear, unforgiveness. In other words, bitterness. Wounds from trauma or neglect, relational dysfunctions, other forms of abuse. Maybe deep grief from loss. Anger, procrastination, hurtful relationships, perfectionism. I got a room full of academics here. <laughs> if y'all don't make it, I'm just going to leave that there. Lying, I, I'm one of them. Lying, gambling, overworking, divorce. And the reality is for many of us, the thing that we once turned to to be the solution for life's problems has now become our life's problem. Let me say that again. For many of us, the thing that we once turned to to be the solution for our life's problems has now become our biggest life's problem. And most of us feel out of control, mentally, emotionally, physically, and most importantly, spiritually. The question is, what is your brokenness? <laughs> We're all broken. Now, the, I'll just give you a second. What is your brokenness? If you had to write it down today. But the purpose of the series is not just to put a spotlight on your brokenness as much as it is to lead you to our glorious Savior, Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus, this is the very purpose and desire of Jesus' coming. He came, Jesus came for broken you and me. In Mark chapter 2, we read this. It's another one you can write down as a reference. Chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus, our God, our Savior, the Savior of all who believe, says this, those who are well have no need of a physician. But who needs a physician? Those who are sick. And Jesus says this, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's saying, you want to pretend like you're well? You're going to miss the doctor, folks. You want to keep denying that you don't got a problem? Then he's going to keep you away from the one who can actually help you with the problem. I didn't come for the well. Stop pretending. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous. But Romans 3 says, no one is righteous. No, not one. He's talking about people who think they're righteous have no need of a Savior. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who admit they're broken. And something happens when we come to terms with our brokenness. It, it leads us to Jesus. And this is why we are doing this series. 
It's our heart to have an honest conversation that we're all broken, and it's our heart to help you recover from past sin and past hurt, but it's our heart, most importantly, to bring you to our wonderful and risen Savior, whose name is Jesus. We're going to be walking through the Beatitudes together, Matthew chapter 5, that's why I had you turn there, but we're also going to be walking, I just want to be outright with you, pretty much everything that I'm going to be teaching for the first time and the whole time that I've ever been pastoring, I am pretty much just going to be repackaging from somebody else. And the reason is, I am teaching through a series that is the foundation for our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And to be faithful to stick to these eight principles that are the foundation of the Celebrate Recovery ministry, I'm going to be teaching the eight principles. But they are the same principles of any recovery ministry. Since the early 1930s when Alcoholics Alcoholics Anonymous was developed, millions of people have gone through that program. Millions now have gone through Celebrate Recovery program, which is a Christ-centered approach to that recovery process. But it is a biblical process that is outlined of recovery. There are eight principles and 12 steps, and that's what we're going to be doing together over the next eight weeks. This is, I believe, so helpful for us as people of God. It's helpful for us as a church of God, and I believe it is helpful to showcase what it is that's opportunistic about getting more involved in our Celebrate Recovery ministry because we are all broken, and we all need healing and help, the healing and help that only our Savior can provide. Amen? So let me pray, and we're going to get started with our first principle. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, this wonderful day to gather and to worship you, God. And we are just asking now that you meet us, Lord, that we would come to terms with who we are, but most importantly, who you are, God, that we would find our place in your hands, Lord, broken but saved by you. We thank you so much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, before we get started in our first principle, I want to write down, I want you to write down two statements. Do you know this? Do you know this? That Jesus not only came for eternal salvation. The truth of the gospel is not only for our eternal salvation, but for our daily deliverance. Did you know that? Some of us think about The work of Jesus in our lives is just to make sure that we get to heaven. But the reality is that, yes, God wants us to be in heaven. He wants us to be with him forever. But we don't need to think about the work of Jesus and the power of the gospel as only for some future day. Because right now, today, Jesus has power to deliver us in our daily life. And that is good news for broken people. And secondly, I want you to know that Jesus does not only offer forgiveness of sin but freedom from sin. And there's a difference. And some of us are living in a place where we only know forgiveness, but we don't know freedom. We're saved, but we're not fully surrendered. And Jesus loves us and offers us both the opportunity to be forgiven from our sin and free of our sin. And this whole journey is meant to lead us in the direction of freedom. Y'all excited yet? Oh, come on. Let's go. Today, we're going to be on principle one and step one. And the first step, I'm just going to tell you, the first step is to admit your need. To admit your need. Principle one, it's going to be on the screen here. I need you to write it down quick because I'm about to go 80 miles an hour. Here we go. Principle one is this. Realize that I am not God. Realize I am not God. 
Some of y'all going to go, duh, but hold on. Just strap your seatbelt. Write this down. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Some of y'all going to have a hard time writing this one down. This is a tough confession, but this is the first step. You can't take the first step. You can't take the rest of them. The first step is this. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. This comes straight from, this is one perspective of looking at the Beatitudes. Jesus is teaching to his disciples the principles of his kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a new kingdom, a kingdom that is completely different than the worldly system. He is establishing a new set of understanding, a new a way of principles of understanding the life that he has called us to. And he says, he sees the crowds, verse 1, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, verse 3, we're just going to read this one verse, we're going to stop here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another translation says it like this. Happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. Happy are those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. The step here is this. There's a difference in the principles and the steps. I'm going to give you each one. The step here is this. We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. There's a principle and then there's an action. And the action is we come to a place that we admit that we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives had become unmanageable. I'm going to walk through very quickly in about 15 or 20 minutes. That's why I said strap your seatbelt. Some of y'all don't believe I'm going to do this. I don't even believe it yet. But what I want to do this morning is I want to talk through this principle and then I want you to hear from someone who has lived in this principle. And each step of this series, what we're going to do is we're going to teach the principle I am or one of our teaching team and then we are going to hear from somebody in our church who is very personally going to open up to us and vulnerably going to open up to us and tell us their journey to recovery as it relates in this principle. Does that sound like a good plan? All right. There are three aspects this morning that I want you to see of this principle. One is the cause, second is the consequence, and third is the cure. The cause, the consequence, and the cure of, wh of what's going on with this principle. Now, the cause. Here it is. Y'all want to know the cause of my problems? What is the cause of my problem? That's the question you should be answering. What is the cause of my problem? The world gives us all kinds of answers. But the Bible gives us one clear answer. And the clear answer to this question, God says the cause of my problem is my sin nature. That is at the root of what has gone wrong in me. 
our sin nature gets us into all kinds of problems. We don't do the things that are good for us. Either when we know better, we respond in hurtful ways when we are hurt. I don't, know the, I don't do the things that I know are good for me. I treat people in ways that backfire. I try to fix problems, and I end up making them worse. Can I get a witness? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this, There is a way that in the end, excuse me, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And all of us have experienced this. We all try to fix things all kinds of ways. We think, oh, this is the right way to go, but in the end it just leads to death. Because the, the deeper issue going on in your life and in my life is this, a sin problem. It's a sin problem. And let me tell you this, we cannot trust our human nature to get us out of our sin problem. We just can't do it. There's a couple of elements here that I want you to see, some, some ways that the sin problem is evidence. Number one, it's evidence in this, in my tendency to do wrong. I always have my sin nature with me, and therefore I always have the desire to do the wrong thing. And I'm going to have it till I get to heaven. There is a war going on me, even though we are Christians, a war between the flesh and the spirit. And the reality is we have a tendency in our flesh to do the wrong thing. Paul says it like this, if you're writing it down, Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, for I don't even understand my own actions. For I do, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody ever been like that? Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it's good so it is now no longer I who do it, but what? But sin that dwells in me. He's speaking to this underlying sin nature, this sin that is stronger than I am, that is making me do evil things. You can believe the lie that you can control your behavior, that you can stop when you want to, that it's really not that bad. I've got it under control. I'm not really hurting anybody. I can stop when I want to. I've got power over it, but that, friends, is called denial. You want to do what is right, but the reality is you are powerless to change. That's what the Bible teaches us. Of your own flesh, you will not make progress. We do things that aren't good for us. We respond in hurtful ways. We do things that we don't do things that are good. We, we are a mess. And it's because we are sinners. Number two, we have the tendency to do the wrong thing, but number two, we desire to be God's. Now, some of y'all are going to look at this and go, that's not me, but let me tell you, one of the evidence of your sin problem is, yes, you do desire to be God. At the root of our human tendency and our desire is to be in, there's one word, control. We want to maintain control. We want control. Control, control, control. And in wanting control, we want to be like God. I don't want anybody telling me what is right and what is wrong. That is the mantra of our culture today. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I am my own authority. I get to decide what is right, and I get to decide what is wrong. I want to call my own shots. I want to make my own rules. I am the center of my own universe. I want to be my own boss. I want to live life my own way. If it feels good, I want to do it. I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life. This is not new. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, if you're writing it down. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat, it's, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. <laughs> one rule. God said, don't eat of the tree. Serpent says, if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like God. And they go, heck with the rules. We'll do what we want to do. Sounds kind of interesting. Be like God. Be wise. It goes all the way back to the beginning. The desire to be God. The desire to be in control. Number three. Another evidence of our sin, root nature. Not only do we have the tendency to do wrong, the desire to be God, but third, we have attempts. We make attempts to play God in our lives. We make attempts to play God in our lives. How do we do this? Write this down underneath it. By denying our humanity and trying to control everything, for selfish reasons. Not only do we want to be the one that makes the rules, the center of the universe, the one who gets to decide right from wrong, but we also want to push that control on everything and everyone else. Yay, yay, yay. It's kind of quiet this morning. <laughs> Usually y'all are like amen and clapping and come on, brother. <laughs> Nothing this morning. <laughs> Nothing. It's okay. A couple of ways that we try to play God. You can list them out. Number one, we try to control our image. We try to control our image. We want to control what other people think of us. Anybody ever experienced this? I, I have. I'll just talk about myself. I don't want other people to know who I'm really like. We play games. We wear masks. We pretend. We fake it. We want people to see certain sides of us. We like to hide the other sides of us. We deny our weaknesses. We certainly deny our feelings. Oh, I'm not angry. Of course not. No, no, no. I'm not upset. We passive-aggressive our way out of that junk. <laughs> we don't want people to see the real us. Why am I afraid to tell you who I really am? Because if I tell you who I really am and you don't like it, that's tough for me because I am who I got. That's all I got. So I'm going to try to hide who I really am and control my image so that by controlling my image, I can control you. What you're thinking. I'll, s I'll move on. Okay. We try to control other people. Parents try to control kids. Kids certainly try to control parents. Bless the Lord on my soul. <laughs> I find myself doing things. I, she's like, Daddy, do this. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> wives try to control their husbands. Husbands try to control their wives. People are trying to control other people. In your office, in your families, in your neighborhoods, countries try to control other countries. We use all kinds of stuff for it. We're really good at it. Y'all want to hear? We use fear. We use praise. We use guilt. That is a Georgia thing right there. We use silent treatment. <laughs> Y'all ever experienced that? <laughs> we use anger. We use rage. We play God by trying to control other people. That's not our job, but we sure do take it on with a lot of pride, don't we? Number three, we try to control our problems. We use phrases like, I can handle it. Not a big deal. I'm fine. Really, it's okay. Somebody confronts you about it. No, it's good. I, it's under control, man. I, I'm not really that hurt. It's going to get better. He's fine. He, he, you know, we try to control our problems. I can quit anytime. I'll work it out on my own. 
And the more you try to fix it yourself, the worse that it gets. And number four, we try to control our pain. We play God, not only that we try to control our problems, but we, tr- we try to control our pain. You ever thought about how much time you spend running from your own pain? Trying to avoid it, trying to deny it, trying to escape it, trying to reduce it, trying to postpone it. People try it in a lot of ways, eating, not eating, getting drunk, smoking, doing drugs, staying busy, 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 achieving, achieving, achieving. Next relationship is, you know, that's the one that's going to be really significant. I, I just have a feeling that's going to be it. Really? The last five weren't, huh? This next one's going to be. You develop some kind of compulsive habit to control yourself, become abusive, critical, angry with other people, judgmental. You get depressed. There are many, many ways, but we all try to play God when we try to control our own pain. And it's the worst in the moments right before sleep or things get really silent and you recognize it's still there. It hasn't gone away. Now, the first step is always the hardest. The first step is always the hardest. But the first issue is the cause of our dysfunction is our sinful nature. Y'all see what I'm saying? And like Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, happy are those who recognize that they are spiritually poor. And I will just say this, until, I think it's up on the screen, until you are willing to admit your need and recognize that you are not God, you will continue to suffer the consequences of your poor choices. You can't expect for the symptoms to change if the core problem hasn't changed. And the core problem is a sin nature, the tendency to do wrong, the desire to be God, and the desire to play God by exerting control over all things. Well, let's look at some of these consequences that we could walk into. I'm going to go quick. The consequences of playing God. Number one, the consequence is fear. It's fear. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned against God and God showed up again in the garden, what happened? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He hides himself. What is it that creeps into our lives because of sin and the desire to be God, the desire to play God? Fear. Just total fear. That's where it comes from. We're afraid somebody's going to find out who we really are. We're afraid of getting close to God. We're afraid of getting too close to other people in an authentic way that brings freedom. Because we're scared that they'll find out that I'm a fake, I'm a phony, I'm broken, I don't really have it all together, I'm not perfect. I'm scared. So we fake it, we pretend, and yet we fill our lives with fear. Constantly afraid somebody's going to reject us or not love us or not like us because they don't really know who I am like. They're not really loving who I really am. They're loving an image of who I am. Fear. And then we end up with resentment. Number two, not only do we have fear, but we have frustration. It's frustrating trying to be the manager of the universe. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Somebody said it's like playing whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> you get one problem out. As soon as it goes out, you get another one, two or three, and you just keep whacking that thing. How come you can't figure it out? That's the way life feels. You whack down one compulsion, another one pack, pops up. 
And this is constantly going to happen until we get a hold of the root problem, our sin nature. We're just going to live with one thing after another after another. We walk around pretending like we're God, we're powerful, we can handle it, but the reality is we cannot do it. Paul realizes, Romans chapter 7, verse 21 and 24, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He's frustrated in Romans 7. Paul's frustrated. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. He hates it. Ongoing problem. He can't get a hold of it. There's an answer, but for now we're just going to stick with that. David also fills us in Psalm chapter 32, verse 3. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He didn't probably say it just like that, but that would have been cool. But if you're frustrated, it's probably a symptom of a deeper problem that you've not dealt with, the root issue, which is you are not God and you desperately need him. Number three, not only do we have fear and frustration, but we have fatigue. It is tiring to play God. When you try to play God and you're not God, you're not from everlasting to everlasting. You don't make eagles soar. Just saying. It's tiring to play God when you're not God. Pretending like you've got it all together, trying to control everything, denying everything all the time. That is tiring. Psalm chapter 32, David goes on and he says, I think it's here. Psalm chapter 32, anyway. Oh, there it is. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. We run from our pain constantly on the go, constantly on the go. We work ourselves to death in denial. It's it's hard. Getting a hobby, staying busy all the time, running from it, pretending all the time. It's just hard. Even with religious activities, don't be fooled. You can be in church and really involved in church and use your church activity as a way to mask your pain, to mask your hurt, to mask your need for healing, your brokenness. Constantly, listen, if you are constantly in a state of fatigue, always tired, you've got to ask yourself, what am I running from? What am I running from? Number four, it's so convenient these all start with F. Did y'all notice that? I just want to say thanks to Celebrate Recovery. Uh, Fear, frustration, fatigue, and number four, failure. Failure. Proverbs chapter 23 28, excuse me, verse 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Another translation puts it this way, you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. You will never succeed in life. When you try to play God, that is one job description that you will be guaranteed to fail at. So I wouldn't recommend applying for the job. You've got to confess, give up, and God will show mercy. Now, happy are those who know they're spiritually poor. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. We've talked about the cause. We've talked about the consequences. And last but not least, I want to lead you to the cure. To the cure. The cure is simple. It's the title of the message. (laughs) Admitting need. 
cure comes in admitting your weakness, coming out of denial. I think I've got a phrase here that I want to put down. Before you can, I told you I'll give you all a lot in a little bit of time. These are all online later. <coughs> You're welcome. Before you can make any progress in recovery, you need to face your denial. You've got to come out of denial. This is a cure. You have to come to terms with the fact that you are in denial in some ways about the brokenness of your heart and life. And you've got to come out of denial, friends. Denial is defined as this, a false system of beliefs that are not based on reality or a self-protecting behavior that keeps us from honestly facing the truth. And we've got to come out of denial. Number one, how do we do that? Number one, we admit our weakness. Y'all writing it down? We admit our weakness. We admit our weakness. As kids, we learn coping skills that come in handy when we face disappointment, when we didn't used to get our parents' attention, we used to block our pains, we block our fears, and as we get older, these things become even more dysfunctional. They confuse us and cloud our view of the truth. You ever deny your family had problems? You ever deny that your parents had problems? You ever deny that you had problems? I'll say things like this sometimes when I like people. Can't we just stop talking about it? Talking about it only makes it worse. Oh, really? <laughs> it, it makes it go away for a little bit, but it doesn't make it better, I tell you that much. If we don't talk about it, it'll just go away. Honey, let's just pretend like that didn't happen. Really? Hmm. If I tell her it hurts me when she says that I'm afraid she's going to leave me. She doesn't really drink that much. It doesn't really hurt. I'm not really suffering that much on the inside. I'm fine. Well, Joan's been married three times. I've only been married two. Paul is an alcoholic. I don't have a problem with drinking. He's the one. If you didn't nag me all the time, pointing fingers, making excuses, you see. But, friends, the, the key, the cure here is admitting weakness. And i got to go. i got to get off the stage so we can have our testimony. Admitting weakness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14 says, they've healed the wounds of my people, lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, you can't just cover it up. You can't pretend like it's there. Healing comes when you come face to face with reality. And the reality is we are weak. Here are the, some ways that we know that we are weak. We have to admit that we're powerless to change our past. Did you know that? Your past hurt, and you still remember the pain, but all the resentment in the world is not going to change what happened. You're powerless to change your past. You've got to deal with it. Secondly, we have to admit that we're powerless to control other people. Yes, I like to control others. I like to manipulate them. I like to try all kinds of little gimmicks, but it does not work. At the end of the day, God makes me responsible for my actions, not theirs. I cannot control other people. And third, I have to admit that I'm powerless to cope with my harmful habits and my harmful behaviors and my harmful actions. God, good intentions are not good enough, and willpower is not good enough. I need something more. I need a power beyond myself. I need God. Secondly, 
Not only do we admit our weakness, but secondly, we yearn for a humble heart. James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This world says, just go it alone. Be the Lone Ranger. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get yourself together. And that voice inside of us, namely our pride, insists that we do it alone. I can solve this. I can do it. I can fix my problems. But I've got to give you three words. No, you can't. You cannot do it apart from God. You need to pray for humility that you can face your brokenness. Because in facing your brokenness, you get led to God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Paul learned the secret of this first step of recovery in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll close on this. And he says, but he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Coming out of denial is the first, the first step. The principle, once again, realize that I am not God. I am powerless. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. I'm going to call up Laura Netton, who is coming this morning to share from her own honest journey of brokenness toward recovery. And as we close this morning, we're going to have a conversation about this so that you can, I pray, be helped to know how it is that you can live, not just know these principles, but actually live in them in a way that leads you I'm moving this the other way, and you're trying to come get it in a way that really leads you to life. So most of y'all know Lara. Hey, friend. Um, this is like all my office furniture, by the way. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's kind of like I'm going to do counseling in here all week. It's going to be great. We just sit here and talk <laughs> with people. But um, With the lights on. With the lights on. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be cool. Um. I'm so grateful this morning for your willingness. Um, it takes a lot, y'all, to be willing to come and talk about some of these things honestly. And yeah, so we just covered principle one, and you've been in a journey toward recovery uh, for quite some time. How does this principle relate to your story and your journey? Uh, I can wholeheartedly echo everything that you uh, shared. Um, I struggle with codependency and uh, an addiction to approval and uh, control issues and perfectionism. And um, I've been dealing with those things my whole life. And um, I have always found ways to uh, manage them, I thought. Um, and every once in a while it gets out of control and um, causes lots of problems. Um, but um, overall, like I've, just tried to manage, and um, it really um, just I got to a place where I, I wasn't able to manage, and it was, I, I felt out of control, and um, I was trying to do the right things, 
and um, you know, seeking help and um, just uh, wanting my healing, um, wanting help, uh, recovery, um, and it, it wasn't coming. And, uh, and so um, I kind of, I just reached the bottom, I think, um, in really last summer. And, um, you know, I was uh, seeing a Christian counselor and um, I was stepped away from ministry leadership um, for a season and um, trying to walk with others uh, in it. Uh, but I was still um, at a loss. Like, I still had my problems. They, they hadn't gone away yet. And, um, and so um, I was just at a place where I needed to really just completely surrender and, um, and just come to a place of complete brokenness. Uh, I thought I had, you know, I was able to name things that I hadn't been able to name before, um, but um, they didn't go away just because I named them. <laughs> Um, and so I needed to come to a place of um, just admitting my powerlessness to fix me um, and to, to get better. Um, and that I needed to come out of denial of thinking that somehow um, it was just going to happen. Yeah. So when we talk about coming out of denial, like needing not to play God, it seems like, duh, like in some ways, like it just feels so obvious or seen. But... In reality, like most people, in my experience pastorally, this is where people get hung up. They can't start because of this first step. Why is it so hard, like, to come out of denial? Like, in your life, what were the specific places that you felt like this is this is a barrier for me moving toward freedom? I, wh why was it that you couldn't come out of denial for so long? Well, you you named some of those things, and I I just want to make sure I. I have some things I wrote down too, but um, I mean, it is pride, um, and I, I had a lot of pride. Um, I thought um, that somehow um, I could do it, that I could pull myself together, that, um, I mean, I was seeking God's help, but um, I, I still thought that um, somehow it was on me and um, to to figure it out and to get better, um, mm. to, to be fixed somehow. Um, and um, I also, um, I just had a lot of pride about my image. I I didn't want people to know because uh, I was uh, afraid of rejection uh, ultimately. Mm. And so um, I, um, I just had a lot of pride about what are people going to think. Um, and really when it came to um, being a part of Celebrate Recovery and getting to that place, um, I was just like, I don't need a program to fix me. Like, this is between me and God, yeah. um, you know, some godly people, but, like, I don't, I, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people think that about the Friday nights. It's like, I'm not one of those people, mm -hmm. but we, we are. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I am, mm. I am. Um, and um, I also thought things like, well, um, you know, I just tried to minimize my problems. And I'm like, well, I know other people have like a lot uh, worse issues going on. Um, you know, I can, um, I don't, I don't need, um, I mean, I can kind of work it out. Um, and I had a lot of fear um, because I had been living this way for so long. And, uh, coming to a place of complete surrender, I was afraid. Like, what is it going to cost me? 
I held on to that hurt that I had in my life. I held on to my shame for so long. And letting that go, I didn't know what it was going to cost me. And I didn't know what it was going to cost me socially. Like, I wanted to do things. I wanted to have my life, you know. And giving uh, two nights these past eight months, um, every night, I mean, uh, every week to be a part of Celebrate Recovery, to go uh, to my step study, and then all of the work that that involved. I'm like, no, it's okay. Like, I have a social life, too. Like, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, and uh, so just the idea of, like, losing control and um, the, 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 you know, the very things that I had clung to that I was afraid of, of truly surrendering, um, I just I didn't know what that was going to look like and that fear of losing control. Um, and, um, yeah, like I kind of already said, just the selfishness of wanting to do things my way and in my controlled way and uh, not to be in a place of vulnerability. Yeah. How do you overcome that, like, personally? <laughs> Those are some real things mm -hmm. and barriers that are there. Yeah. What, um, what, what got you to that place where you were able to commit? Well, I mean, I give God all the praise and all the glory uh, for, for getting me to that place and for bringing me to that place of, um, of brokenness and of being able to admit uh, my denial and admit my powerlessness. Um, and uh, but, but very practically, I wanted freedom. I, I was so sick of it. <laughs> um, you know, I would experience some victory and then sink down again and have, you know, just the grips of codependency. And it, it was killing me. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted freedom, and I was desperate for it. And uh, so I, w I wanted to do whatever it took. I was to that place where I, I wanted my freedom. And, um, and I will also say that I had um, great people to come alongside me. And um, Rob was one of those people. Uh, when I first uh, looked at um, you know, being a part of CR, I mean, it was because it was starting here, and I just felt like the Lord said, Laura, this, this is for you. This is going to be a part of your journey. Um, but I didn't, I still didn't get it, but I, I went and I talked to Rob, and Rob said, just come and see. And um, walking through those doors the first time, I was just like, I was so intimidated. I was so scared. And I, I just thought, oh my goodness, I really am not one of these people. I don't know these people. They're all strangers. I was at a different CR, not here at ICC, and I didn't know a single person besides Rob. And, um, and I just thought, what am I doing here? Like, what do people think if they know I'm here? And um, then, um, I mean, worship started, and the first song that we sang, or one of the first songs, was Just As I Am. And whew, the floodgates opened, because <laughs> I was just like, that's right, just as I am. I am broken, and I need help. I need God, yeah. and um, this is all I can be is me and come as I am, and I knew that this was the place for me, and I knew that he um, had had healing for me, yeah. and um, still along the way, like I um, questioned, and Rob was just so great because he was so kind. He never told me what to do. He never, um, he just, shared his experience, he listened, he prayed, and um, and I just really appreciated that. And um, Barrett, yeah. you and I talked, and um, yeah, just helping me to explore what was holding me back, and um, you know, committing to doing a step study, um, that felt really intimidating, and with all these women that I didn't know, 
Um, I wanted to do it with my people here at ICC <laughs> <laughs> in my time frame. Um, but um, God had different plans. One last question. Um, so we're talking about Set Free, uh, this series title. Earlier we were talking about the difference of being saved, being surrendered, um, experiencing forgiveness versus experiencing freedom. How would you describe um, the transformation that God has brought into your life through your willingness to take those first steps and then steps after this? Um, in, the, in a personal way, how can you testify to just God's grace that is given to those who are humble that we just shared from Jim? Uh, I can truly say I, I have been set free. Um, I have, I'm experiencing freedom today uh, like I've never experienced before. And when you have been stuck and you've been a slave to sin, uh, to just bondage of any kind of, any kind of stronghold, um, and um, it is out of your control to, to fix. Um, it um, is just at a place of hopelessness, and I, uh, I don't have hopelessness anymore. I, I truly uh, feel set free, and um, it's not that my problems are gone. Um, I, I still struggle <laughs> um, with all of those things that I named at the beginning. On a daily basis, I struggle with them. But I know a different way. Um, God is giving me new muscle memory, <laughs> new muscles uh, to be able to live in a healthier way. And um, part of that is just admitting where I am and not not being afraid of it, not being afraid of it with myself um, or just and just being honest with the Lord and with other people and just say, I mean, this is where I am. This is where my struggle is. And um and then just being able to name it uh, dissipates so much for me. Um, and, and then just uh, being able to then work through it and what is you know, causing um, those feelings or those thoughts and being able to put truth there in, yeah. in its place. Yeah. Um, and so uh, freedom um, like no other. And um, God is also bringing restoration yeah. uh, to relationships. Um, I've hurt a lot of people along the way. And... Um, mm. And um, God is God is bringing renewal and reconciliation uh, to those relationships, and um, just making things new. Yeah. And He's doing that in ways uh, beyond what I could ask or imagine. Let's celebrate God and Lara um, together. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so thankful. As we close this morning, I want you to stay here because I want to pray for you and others this morning as well. But as we close, I just wonder, like, where is your brokenness? It's there. What is it? And I just ask, you know, where are you? Um, are you in denial in some way? Like, are you pretending, masking, hiding, running, covering, escaping? Um, are you in denial? I just encourage you. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are broken, who know they are spiritually broken. He's come not for the righteous, but for the sinner. Not for the well, but the sick. And this is his whole purpose in our life. 
John 8, we just studied in our last series, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Coming to terms with your brokenness leads you to freedom. It's the first step. Without this first step, you can't go any further. You need God. You're powerless without him. Let's call out to him together. I'm going to pray for Lara. I'm going to pray for you, friend. Just celebrate and thank God for you and working in your life. I'm going to pray for others as well before we move to our closing. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this word that you have given to us this morning. Thank you that you offer freedom, <laughs> that you are a God of, of healing, of comfort, of leadership, of fruitfulness, of care, of freedom. Thank you, God. Lord, you tell us that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And I just thank you so much today for the testimony of Lara. God, I thank you, God, that you broke her to a point where she was ready to call out to you, fully surrender to you, and to begin this incredible journey of your restoring and transforming work in her life. Thank you, Lord, for bringing her to the first step of admitting her weakness and brokenness and powerlessness without you. And for God giving her grace to call out to you. And thank you, Jesus, that she can now sit on a stage in front of many others and say, I am free. Thank you, God. May her freedom abound to your glory. God, for others who are here, who are like Lara just a year ago, I pray, God, for your grace in their lives. Right now, God, you welcome those who are humble. You give grace. You give grace to the humble. For those who are willing to acknowledge weakness, you give strength. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. May we all come to a place today where we're naming our sin, confessing our failure, admitting our helplessness without you, and calling out upon your name. We thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.